Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Modern Agile Show. This is episode 34, and we are here with my friend, Will Pinnell. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm really happy to have you on the show. Finally, it's uh, I've been wanting Will to be on this show for quite some time because he lives like, what? Uh, three miles down the road. Three miles down the road. Finally, he's here, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's jump straight into it. We are um, both in the same company now. Uh, Will just joined Industrial Logic. How many months ago was it now? Uh, August 25th. Okay. <laughs> All right. We know the date. Um, and that's something we both wanted for a long time and worked towards that. But let's go back in time. Okay, so why don't we go back to when I first landed here in the Bay Area. I relocated from Detroit and virtually the first thing I did when I landed here was I looked up Industrial Logic because I knew that they were only three blocks away from where I lived. And I had been following Josh and Bill and Tim and g uh, for a number of years prior to me arriving here. All right, and I always coveted an opportunity to work here. And that is about 10 years ago or so now. And now I finally arrived. <laughs> I work yeah. here at Industrial Logic. I am a proud There's senior consultant. Business. I came today to bring my business card to present <laughs> it to Josh. Um, and I couldn't be more pleased. All right, it was a long haul. And I'll tell you why, because <clears throat> I'm basically self-taught. You are self-taught. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that because a lot of people, you know, want to know how to break into the field, how to get to be really good. Um, you're awesome. And, you know, I'm not trying to butter you up here. You truly are awesome. <laughs> Everywhere you go, you do incredible things. And, uh, you know, how did you get there? What, so going back, I remember when you first, when I first, when I very first heard about you, you had contacted us to buy one of our albums. Right, and, and I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, I had become disillusioned with programming around, the, around 1999 or so, around 2000. And the funny thing about that is that I remember being in a Barnes and Nobles, um, and you know how they had the stacks that you can browse at that time, all right? That was, you know, you know a, a, a lively way of uh, shopping. And I saw this book, it was called Refactoring, and I picked it up off of the shelf and I'm looking at this book now. This is 1999 when yeah. it was first published. That's right. I'm saying to myself, okay, well, this looks interesting. But by that time, I had become so disillusioned with programming that I was thinking about, you know, what else could I do beside this? All I was doing was fixing bugs, you know, there was no real motivation behind it or anything. And I couldn't rationalize the salary that I was making with the you know, grunt work that I was doing. I really couldn't do it. So, you know, there had always been a teacher in me dying to get out. So I decided to go teach. And I taught for five years. Um, I taught in a program for at-risk youth. I went to the Virgin Islands. And I taught uh, middle school kids and high school kids there. What were you teaching? Uh, in the Virgin Islands, I was, teach I was a science teacher. Hmm. All right, so not my, you know, core discipline, which is mathematics. But um, I just love to teach. Yeah. Uh, but I found out that, uh, so the Virgin Islands is the kind of place where you could go and be whatever you want. You could go there and you could teach if you didn't have a license. 
<laughs> they had these funny art galleries where people were selling art that they couldn't even put in a gallery here in the United States in pieces that were selling for like $400 of a can of Coke and things like that. So it was like the land of misfit toys. So, uh, of course, um, the, the salary wasn't really enough to survive on St. John's. And I started looking to find my way back into engineering. A job opened up. Um, I worked uh, doing .NET at the time, and then finally got a job with uh, Pepsi Americas back in the United States, um, and uh, came back to the United States around 2007. It was around that time when I got back into the programming that I realized things had changed in the industry where everybody was moving toward extreme programming and agile ways of working, test-driven development, refactoring. So I started finding out you know, who to follow and who to study um, Refactoring the Patterns was one of my first books that I began to study. And then I found out, well, how am I going to learn this stuff, you know, because it's kind of hard to figure it out by yourself. And I started looking online, and somehow or another I found Industrial Logics e-learning. Um, so as soon as I could afford it around 2007 or so, um, I, I saved up the money, and I was prepared to buy my first license, but it was really expensive. <laughs> So somehow or another, I got into an email exchange with Josh, and he cut me a break on my first TDD album. Um, I took $5 off. No, no, <laughs> no, I gave you a nice deal. Yeah, you gave me a significant break. You know, it was, uh, it was pretty pricey. Um, but I was grateful. Um, I studied that thing religiously along with all of my other study. You did. I remember, I remember we were looking at usage metrics for, for you know, overall. And it was like, you know, who are the students who are really like going through these albums? Like really, because you would ask, you, you, you can ask questions in the e-learning and you were asking questions and very active. And then we we're looking at, you know, kind of the usage metrics and they were off the charts. I mean, you were studying everything. So good on you. Right. And, and just to let you know, if you don't, all right, the value that I found in the industrial logic e-learning, and I still find that value today, is that. When you have a question, all right, you can post it in their forums, and within 24 hours, the people who are going to answer you directly and engage you in dialogue about engineering practice are Bill Waite, Tim Ottinger, Josh Karievsky, G. Paul Hill, uh, all of these guys, all right, that are pioneering contributors to our practice. So um, it is, it is, it, suffice it to say that. Um, I had an opportunity to present myself for my first Agile job. It was at Pillar Technology. And I forget who the coach was at the time. He, he ended up working here. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Not really, no. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was so impressed with my phone interview because I knew so much about Agile from all of my reading um, that he, he invited me for my first like in-person pairing interview. And my pairing interview, I went in there and I had like continuous integration running on my laptop and a test-driven, basically, login page. And this is somebody that's coming from out, off the street, out of the blue. And they hired me on that basis alone. So I think that um, it's significant that the e-learning enabled me, without any prior mentorship or any, any prior coaching, to get my first agile job. Yeah, I remember you wrote a blog about it. And, uh, I, I did. You about know. how you got your first job and, and how the e-learning was so pivotal in helping you, you know, learn true TDD. 
Uh, That's right. Yep. And that blog is still alive today. <laughs> and uh, it shows the tools that the e-learning brings, you know, with the, the ability for you to be able to measure your progress yeah. in learning the practices. Yeah. Um, well, we don't want to have an advertorial advertisement for this. But the point is, that's how we started engaging with each other because you, you came along and bought the album and then we ended up giving you uh, whatever we did. We gave you a bunch of albums and you went through all of them. You were like tearing through every <laughs> single album. You know, just it impressed the heck out of me that you were such a scholar. I mean, someone that goes in there and truly studies to learn the skills because there's a lot of material. There's, a lot, there's days and days and days worth of stuff in there and you went through it and you asked questions and you did exercises and that to me says so much about you because not a lot of people do that. You know, some people get licenses and they never, they never use them. So you have this, you know, thirst for learning that I've noticed and it goes beyond what we were teaching you. I see that with all of what you learning react, learning angular, learning the IBM, uh, web sphere and, and, and all, of course the blockchain and all the other stuff you've been doing, you have a real thirst for knowledge. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, uh, just as there's always been a teacher inside of me dying to get out, there's always been a student. Um, the people I admire and to whom I aspire are scholars in their own right, such as yourself. So again, yeah, I don't want it to be an advertisement of how much I admire Industrial Logic or you or <laughs> you know how great the albums are, but uh, they, they did a lot in order to get me into the position that I am now, which is as a senior consultant at Industrial Logic doing what I love, which is working with young teams and being able to groom new engineers in these very effective ways of working, and I, I couldn't really ask for more at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. Um, so, the uh, I know I know you've had some experiences which were you know humbling as well. We all have um, the modern agile principles make safety a prerequisite. To me, that's one of the hardest ones to implement. I know I, you know, sometimes someone will say, "Hey, that's not so psychologically safe what you just did," or um, you know something some snafu happens around here, and I'm like damn it, we could have made safety a prerequisite and we didn't. Um, how does this principle apply to your career and, and what you're experiencing? I mean, it's, it's, it's foundational. I mean, it's so I didn't really realize or appreciate safety as a prerequisite and how significant it is until a very recently on a recent project where um, in spite of the contribution I made to the organization, I got caught up in the bureaucracy and the politics and eventually ended up getting literally thrown under the bus. Um, and that's the kind of thing in our practice, really, that should not happen. Right. And I learned then and there that when you are building new teams and our ways of working, it is really important to pave the, the, the framework, the foundation, with safety. Right. And I've carried that lesson with me since mm -hmm. then. Because you got, and this was before you joined Industrial Logic, but you were, if I understood correctly, they, they asked you to do something that you weren't really exactly ready for, or it, it, was, it was something that was just too ad hoc. And, yeah. and the, client, the, the client expectations and what you expected and what management expected, nothing was aligned. That's right. 
That's right. So it was just it was just a situation waiting to blow up. You know, if, and believe me, we all have this. Mm. I mean, every one of us has these stories where misalignment and um, just not clear expectations and not clear outcomes lead to <clears throat> bad situations. You know, and it's what Paul O'Neill, the guy that you know led Alcoa to. Uh, uh, basically save the company and then go on to become so much more successful than it ever, ever had been. You know, he's the one I learned this from, which is make safety a prerequisite. How do you, you know, look at injuries? And we get injuries. We don't get physical injuries, but it, you know, it's like a scar. Sure. It's a, it's like a, a, you know, a scar from work that when some, someone gets thrown under the bus, you remember it. And then we say, well, how could we have made that safer? What could we have done? to have prevented that, to have led to a great outcome. So I think, um, you know, there's, to me, that's one of the hardest ones. Make safety, this, this principle here at the bottom, at the foundation, make safety a prerequisite. Huge. And, and I have a sort of a theory of why that's the case, because I agree with you. It's probably of all of the modern agile principles, it's the one that's taken for granted the most. And, you know, I think it's simply because it is the one um, for, for, for which people are out of touch the most. You know, like nobody is really thinking about their personal safety, their, the safety of their teammates, of their organizations. Yeah. You know, they're not. And so as a consequence, we take for granted issues of alignment, yeah. issues of expectation mm-hmm. and so forth. You know, so, sure. you know, because we take safety for granted. You know, it's not foundational in the sense that it really needs to be in order to cultivate the kinds of work, working systems of work um, that are effective. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it was a big lesson for me. Yeah. Um, I take it to heart. Yeah. I do feel the scar, and it's the thing that motivates me to, as best as I can, keep it up front. But it's, a, it's an interesting dichotomy because, you know, I also take it for granted. Yeah. And I get in an organization and I'm working with teams and I get caught up in the, the systems of work mm-hmm. and the team and the systems of work are often um, immature. Yeah. You know, and it's very easy to lose sight of how important that is. You know, it's like thinking about what could go wrong, you know, uh, is helpful. I mean, you also want to look at what's going right and why is it going right. Um, we talk about safety one versus safety two, that those are some new ways of thinking about safety in terms of, um, you know, the it's almost like appreciative inquiry or, or studying what's going well. That's safety too. Safety one is trying to recover from all the mistakes and errors and injuries or near misses. Um, so, you know, you got to look at both. Like what's working well for you? How are you doing so successful? But then what could go wrong? And what, what, what's the next potential scar and how could we prevent that from happening? Right. You know, I look at your email here and I'm like, Will at Industrial Logic. I know you... It's W-I-L, but hey, someone might, might actually email you and type in W-I-L-L and email you, never get the email. You That's know? already happened. That's ha- <laughs> so we need, you need to have a second email here so it forwards on to Will. Oh, good point. Um, That's safe. All right. Well, why don't we transition a little bit here. First of all, um, I want to talk a little bit about diversity because, you know, it's an important part of our industry. It's a, it's a problem, I think, in our industry. There's not enough diversity at all, um, and um, I'm curious what you think of it. You know, oh uh, well, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's from my perspective, it's a significant issue. Um, so I'm thinking back now. 
over the course of a long career in software that goes back more than 25 years. Yeah. All right, there was only one occasion where I worked with somebody else of African descent. Only one other occasion mm -hmm. in 25 years of practice. Mm -hmm. And that was because I hired a guy myself. <laughs> all right, and I remember uh, in my first pair with him, all right, that was the first time I got to pair with anybody from African, of African descent. Mm -hmm. And so I tweeted about it mm -hmm. because it was significant. You know, and uh, racial diversity is basically a second class citizen um, to gender diversity. So when people talk about diversity in our industry, I'm all for it. But one thing that uh, you have to understand is what they primarily mean is gender diversity. Right. They rarely talk about racial diversity. Yeah. Um, so is that, is that changing at all? I mean, I know the with a lot of the code schools that are out there, a lot of people that you know had never been in software are getting in and you know learning things and then eventually, I think, going on to careers. I mean, are you seeing any change? Uh, so, not from my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't have the data in front of me, so um, I would be interested to discover if there's been any movement yeah. in the direction of racial diversity. There's mm -hmm. been significant movement in the direction of gender diversity. Right. And often, but not enough even for that. I mean, that's... Right, certainly not. I mean, and, you know, so we have a long way to go as long far way. as that's concerned. But what I have endeavored to do myself... All right, like I said, I hired the guy that I ended up uh, being the first person of African descent with whom I worked, is I make it a point to mentor um, uh, people of African descent, mm -hmm. all right, to bring them into the industry so I take personal responsibility yeah. for the lack of diversity in the industry. And, and we, we had someone working for us who you mentored, um, who was, you know, um, been great in the company. Yeah, yeah, that was Monk, and I was... I remember spending um, evenings and weekends with that guy, and I was very impressed that he got his first opportunity with your organization. Yeah, he'd, he, he'd been um, in a totally different field and got into software development, and he impressed you, and that then I talked to him, and he, he impressed me, you know, and he went on to have an excellent um, job here, you know, so uh, thanks to you. Right. You know, so. I mean, just to answer the question about diversity in our industry in general, all right, there's a very simple... Uh, equation and that I endeavor toward personally and it's uh, it can be boiled down to a mantra you can mentor black folk and you can hire back black folk right there's really nothing stopping you from doing either of those two things mm -hmm. so if you're saying that you want to introduce a diverse culture all right but you're not it's because you're not doing those two simple things mm -hmm. and it's as simple as that there are plenty of us out there that are capable yeah. of, of uh, being engineers in these enterprises that lack uh, racial diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to um, see it. I mean, you and I, are, we're from New York, you know, I mean, the, it's the melting pot. Um, you don't even, if you're born and raised in New York, you don't even, to me, you don't even think about it because it's everyone's from every single walk of life, color, nationality, everything, you know, it's, it's just... In fact, when I don't have diversity, I feel weird. It doesn't feel right, you know, in terms of the way I grew up. Um, but if I look at the overall industry, you know, obviously there's a long, long way to go. I mean, I, I think uh, um, Kimberly Bryant and her Black Girls Code, you know, and I, I, and I think that's awesome what she's doing. You know, I mean, I think it's, 
it's an amazing program, you know, and uh, so I, I, I hope that the future will be different. Well, I mean, so we as a industry, as a culture, have to make it different. Mm-hmm. Um, what you don't hear is a lot of our thought leaders um, speaking yeah. about uh, racial diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, one of the re- and I appreciate the fact that you're doing that today because we need to have more voices yeah. that are addressing the topic specifically. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one um, agile thought leader who I will not name. And I was in a dialogue with him over Twitter and I was saying, you know, I really appreciate the work that you do for gender diversity, but what about racial diversity? And he said something to me that um, I just really didn't accept. And it was that, well, gender diversity has to come first. And I let it go because I didn't want to start any kind of an argument on Twitter. But what I, how I wanted to reply was, if not now, then when, effectively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've never looked at it as gender, gender diversity comes first and racial diversity comes second. To me, that doesn't, that doesn't compute. Yeah, but you know, it's an interesting attitude and it perhaps it's more prevalent than we may recognize or realize. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, our, it's our responsibility then to help, help bring that true diversity to, to our field. And uh, let's do that. Well, I hope to work with you to affect exactly that. Yeah, maybe we can inspire some more folks to, you know, whatever, jump in and uh, support them, so. Oh, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, well, um, yeah, so uh, anything else you wanted to talk about today? Tennis. Uh, I can talk about tennis. We play tennis, we love playing tennis. Will is a, uh, you know, he adores tennis, and I do too, so we try to hit regularly. Yeah, and it's, I had a, a, a two and a half year layoff. Uh, no exercise, no riding a bike, no tennis. And that's not uh, safe. Yeah. And that's that, not yeah. making safety a prerequisite. And it, it wasn't healthy either, you know, and it was a lot of stress at the job was taking me away from it. But what I'm, I'm proud to say is that last week, all right, I got back on the court. Mm. Right, I remember I got on the court and I'm hitting the ball and I literally had forgotten how much I love to hit that ball. Um, so I hit 150 balls that morning, and uh, I'm scheduled. I fly back t- to uh, tomorrow morning. I'm scheduled for court time Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and they didn't. They ran out of sheets, so I couldn't schedule for the other morning. So, are, are you a better professional because of your hobby? Uh, you know, like tennis. Absolutely. I mean, so basically, my habit is to get out on the tennis court in the morning. Yeah. All right. No, work early, early, early in the morning. Um, six, like six a.m. <laughs> six a.m. My court time at the San Francisco Tennis is six a.m. It's five a.m. when I'm stationed at Dearborn. Mm-hmm. Get an hour, hour and a half workout in. Get a yeah. shower, and hit the work early. And it tends to kind of remove the cobwebs and you know eliminate the stress that might be pent up. Um, it gives you the right kind of appetite for you know healthy food and for water. Yeah. Um, gives you energy to sustain the day. And mm-hmm. it just has all of these positive effects uh, because you love it so much and you're working out so hard, you know, it's, it's, there's a real spiritual um, thing that's going on with regard to tennis and its effect on my work. So That's wonderful. Well, um, hopefully we'll play soon. And, uh... What about today? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm up for it. 
beautiful, uh, sunny, warm day in Berkeley. We should definitely get out there. So thank you for being on the show. Hope to have you back. And, uh, you know, again, welcome to the company. It's taken us far too long to finally hire you, but here you are. So thanks for watching, everyone. If you enjoyed the show, please share it and subscribe. We have many more shows coming. I loved giving these, doing these interviews with people, and uh, we would love your comments, questions, anything you want to contribute. Thanks again for watching. Awesome.